en hartelike goeiemorgen, welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelik saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord, en Psalm 119, 105 sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Krij dus gauw jou bybel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Share our passion for life on 657 AM. 657 AM. That's where you tune to and a warm-hearted good morning. Uh, you can hear Rocky and myself having some conversation in the background. Good morning, my brother. How are you keeping? Morning, Ben. I'm very well in yourself. Yeah, you wanted to say. I wanted to say, did we go live on Facebook? Yeah, we go in live on Facebook as we speak. Look at that. There right. I press the start button, initialization, and yes, we live on Facebook. Not only Facebook, but the YouTube channel as well. Oh, great. Uh, well, that well-known voice uh, in your house, uh, in your car, at your place of work. Uh, Pastor Rocky Stevenson, die program skrifteerlik tot en met 12 uur vandag. En as jy vandag vir die eerste keer ingeskakel is, hartelike goeiemorgen, baie welkom. Wat een voorrecht om saam met jou die skrifte te onderzoek en te kyk wat antwoord die woord van die Heere vir ons. So, dit werk so. Misschien het ergens iemand iets gesê wat glad nie, sin maak nie en waar jy antwoorde soek in die woord van die Heere, dan is jy baie welkom om jou vraag in te stuur na Radio Kansel. Jy het natuurlijk een verantwoordelijkheid as geluister het na hierdie program Handelinge 17.11 sê om dan die skrifte self te gaan onderzoek, om te kyk of hierdie dinge so is, but you send your questions in to 082-657-2729 and Rocky and myself are here until 12 o'clock. Please pray for him as he is the spear point, so to speak, the point of the spear as we dive into God's word. Man's opinion is one thing, but I'm quite sure what you want is what does the Lord God Almighty say, the one and only true God. The Bible says there is none besides him. Don't care who you're worshipping and what you're worshipping. God says, I am the only God that exists. And therefore, it's before this God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God of Radio Pulpit, that we bow and seek answers from His Word. So please keep Rocky in mind that the Lord supernaturally would uh, just lay Scripture on His heart that we can share God's Word, that you would find that answer that you're seeking from. Had a wonderful, wonderful question from a young man by the name of Levi that came to his dad and he said, Dad, I have a question for Skriftilik tomorrow. And he said, what is it, my son? He says, well, here is it, Dad. Why did God allow anyone to sin? Levi, let's dive into the scriptures. Rocky, what do we answer, the young Levi? Yeah, what a what a joy it is to um, if if the listener doesn't know, Levi is my oldest son. So he came to me, said, "I got this question for for you tomorrow, Dad." And so he has a question from a six-year-old, and uh, what an excellent question! And this really does take us to the gift of free will, and also then then the understanding of God's love, in order to comprehend why God allowed people to sin at all. We must then delve to the very heart of the divine plan of God and the nature of his love for humanity. He loves humanity so much 
And one of the fundamental aspects of God's love is the gift of free will that he gives to mankind because God placed that tree in the garden. And so the nature of of love and of choice, we see this in First John eight, First uh, John four verse eight. Excuse me, where God says that He is love. He tells us God is love in First John four verse eight, and love in its purest form allows for genuine choice. It allows for you to choose whether to love back or not. It does not force. It does not coerce. It does not manipulate. It does not force anyone to choose to love. And so God, in His immense love, granted humanity the ability to choose, even if that choice meant disobedience. And so love that is coerced is actually not true love at all. It is the freedom to choose that that genuine, meaningful love is then found in that. And God, in His mercy, has allowed man to choose that. And then God, in His absolute sovereignty has chosen to love man in spite of man and despite man because God is love. And so if we go back to the Garden of Eden, which is where we see this starting, is that God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden to test humanity's love and obedience. In Genesis 2 verse 16 to 17, we see this. God gave Adam and Eve a command. He allowed them the freedom then to obey or to disobey. And this command was not meant to restrict, but to foster a relationship that was based upon trust and obedience that's grounded in the freedom to choose. When Adam and Eve then succumbed to sin and they chose to sin, its consequences reverberate across the world. And yet amid their disobedience, God enabled and endured, his enduring love rather, prevailed in this. He orchestrated redemption through the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we know that marvelous passage in John 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that none should perish, whoever believes on him would have eternal life. And that illuminates even the profound extent of God's love. So this plan then exemplifies God's longing for a restored relationship with humanity, even in the face of our sinful choices and the fact that we're born in the lineage of Adam and Eve and that we have chosen so often to sin. God has chosen to love and he's chosen to give a sacrifice for sinners. And so that broken covenant of mankind with God was met with God's redemptive purpose and his redemptive promise really symbolizing the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and then ultimately God's love manifest in human form through Jesus Christ our Lord on the cross. He bore the weight of our sins, offering forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. So why has God allowed man to sin? It is that he would put on display his glorious love for mankind and in particular through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's such a triumphant act that affirms God's love and his ultimate um, conquering power that comes through his love, bridging the gap between humanity and himself and inviting us into this deep eternal communion with our creator. And so for Levi, often I will pray at home for my boys, and I even last night was praying for Levi and Simeon. And one of the prayers that I often would pray, I would say, Lord, please show my sons that they are sinners, and that they need a Savior, and that Jesus is the Savior for sinners, and that they would put their trust 
in Jesus as the Savior for sinners. God has extended himself in love towards mankind. The means, the reason that he has allowed mankind to sin is because of his deep love for mankind and that he has paid a price. The scriptures even teach us that before the foundation of the world, Christ died for sinners. His plan has never been thwarted. And there's that sovereignty of the love of God in allowing people to sin. God showcases the sovereignty of his love. He values authentic, voluntary relationships where individuals choose to love him. And so then the question to our listeners is, will you choose this day to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind? We had a brief discussion, Vainant and I, um, before coming into the studio this morning, and we were speaking about not losing the first love that we ought to have for God. He is the one that has first loved us. And so when we've responded to him in love, we love him because he has first loved us. And we need to remember that kind of love that he has had for us. And that today we can choose voluntarily to love the Lord our God who has loved us first. And that's the real appeal to us in regard to the fact that he has allowed this sin to to happen amongst us. That we would have this voluntary relationship where we as individuals choose to love him who has loved us. And through the story of the Garden of Eden and then the subsequent redemption that's offered through Christ our Lord, we see a God who respects our choices, yet continues to pursue us with a boundless love. I mean, his love chases us (laughs) in that sense. Wherever we look, we can see the love of the Lord. Anything short of hell because of our sin is an act of God's tremendous love towards us. And we ought to respond to him because of this marvelous love that he has had towards us. Right, uh, Rocky, if you look on the uh, screen there in front of you, you will see Tihana has even pushed the boundary a little further uh, than what young Levi has asked. And Mm. uh, if you want to send in a question, you're most welcome to do that. Shall we tackle that one now? Yes, we we can do that. uh, Are you happy with that? Yes. Right, uh, Tihana, thank you so much. Uh, You've got a very, very interesting question. She says, so where did sin come from before Jesus created man? In other words, why did Lucifer sin if there was no sin? Uh, where does this whole thing, sinful nature, if, uh, where does it come from yeah. then? So, so this is a very complex further question, and so it's a really good question, and there's been a lot of debate regarding this in theological in the theological world. We we believe, according to what the scriptures tell us, that sin originated with Lucifer right. inside of the heart of Lucifer. The moment that Lucifer believed that somehow he could replace God or take God's place, that initial prideful thought that he could actually rebel and that he was not satisfied with the position that God had given him. He was the chief cherub. You know, he was the one that would deliver the praises of so others to God. So they had the same, same freedom as us, a p- complete love. God had given them free thought. Mm. Uh, th- th- can we say that to one another? Can Is that what we it, get from Scripture? It, it does seem that there was a choice that was given to heaven's angels, yeah. because we also know that only one-third of heaven's angels actually fell. And um, one of the, the places to go to for this scripturally would be Ezekiel 28, verse 12 to 19, that says, The Son of Man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, and this is now speaking about Satan in a um, 
in, in this section. He says, you have the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis, lily, the turquoise and the emerald. And the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. And here's where we see this in verse 15 of Ezekiel 28, the first time that you have sin coming because he was created blamelessly. He was created perfectly like Adam and Eve were. And it says, until unrighteousness was found in you. So this would would really give us the indication that sin started within the, the, the being of Lucifer at this point and then it says by the abundance of your trade you were in you were internally filled with violence and you sinned therefore i have cast you as profane from the mountain of god and i have destroyed you o covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire your heart was lofty because of your beauty and so yeah we see a bit more of a detail of this his heart actually got puffed up within him because he was so beautiful because he was so perfect because he had been made so well he went wow well actually like i deserve more than what i even have right now and then it says you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you by the abundance of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade. You profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought out fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you and I've turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will cease to be forever and so there we see some of the idea of this and then isaiah fourteen twelve to 15 also metaphorically even speaks of him as being the morning star that then um, has has fallen and so lucifer as this created being was initially good but he became prideful and he desired to exalt himself above god and this rebellion then led to his expulsion from heaven along with a third of the angels, and we see that in Revelation 12, 4. It is this act of defiance against God that sin is believed to have originated and in the spiritual realm. And right. then he brought that sin yeah. down to the world because he had been cast from heaven, yeah. and he desired that man now would continue to follow after him with this regard. So, Rocky, just put it in a timeline for me. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Hmm. Uh, God in perfection The angels was there before the earth uh, What is our understanding And then God made the earth The angels sin cast down to earth What is the timeline How yeah. are we to understand that So I, I, I believe And I take a slightly different view Than what some theologians do I believe that everything Was created in the heavens and the earth Inside of that six day creation of God the angels in it. The angels included. And so oh. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right. 
And then it speaks specifically about the earth. It, it talks about these physical things, and it says, And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now, even when we talk about Lucifer, um, that very name means the angel of Light. And so there was no light until day one when God says, let there be light. And so therefore you would not have an angel of light if there was not light created. So I believe that Lucifer was created along with the heavens and the earth element of what we see in day one to day six of creation. That all that has come into being has been created with this. And John the one, word get you know, John one talks about in the beginning was God and, and was was the word and the word was with God and, yeah, yeah. and 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 so we have this timeline that before that beginning point of time. We we actually just have the triune God absolutely happy within His own person, yes. um, as the as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not needing anything to be not created, not in need of company, not in need of company at yeah. all. But He creates, and when He creates, He creates the heavens as well as the earth. We're told about how He created the earth in particular in Genesis, but we're not told about all of the spiritual beings that were created. But I do believe that there's an indication there of verse three of chapter one that. That, that somewhere there, day one, day two, somewhere between that, Satan was created. We know that he was a created being. And we also know uh, from this passage that I used in Ezekiel, um, that just to remind the listener of what we looked at there in Ezekiel, I think it was 28 verse 12 to, to 19, that Satan was created at this time. Because it tells us that you were there in the garden. I put you there. I've, you were on the holy mountain of God in the day that you were created. And so there's this this figurative picture of what happened in heaven while earth was also created in the beauty that Satan was created in. So there we have it. And, and so Genesis, it was in a very short uh, yes. uh, frame of time that he actually became puffed up, yes. looking at himself. Yeah. And said, wow. Yeah, and even, even Adam and Eve, actually, their sin happened uh, quite quite quickly because, wow. um, you know, if we think about the fact that man was created um, there on day number six, and Genesis two actually goes into detail. It kind of zooms in on yeah. what happened on day number six with the creation of man, and looks at Adam and Eve. And very soon after they've been created, they also fall. And and why do I say that? Well, because God had commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to right. fill the earth, like All He right. told the animals yes. to do the same thing. Yeah. And yet we don't yet have the birth of. Cain and Abel in the Garden of Eden, yeah. we've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and yeah. they would walk with God in the evening, and we don't know how long, but we know that it definitely wasn't nine months. They had a perfectly created reproductive system. Yeah. They would have been um, able to have children easily, and God had commanded them already to do this, just like he commanded the animals to be fruitful and multiply, and they still do that, by the way, today. You look around us, and you see the animals are still doing and following the command of the Lord. And um, yeah, we've got Adam and Eve in their perfect state, and yet they fall. And so it's a very short time frame. I'd, yeah. I'd say within the first month, two, three months of creation, we have wow. the fall of Satan and a third of the angels that fall with him. And then we have Satan deceiving mankind, mankind falling as well, cast out of the garden. Not too long after that, you've got the birth of, of Cain and Abel. Yeah. And we've got the birth also of, of course, many daughters. It would seem that Cain and Abel, along with a number of daughters, are born. And only later on, almost a hundred-something years later, is Seth born. 
born. Because it would seem that there were a number of daughters born, and you have Cain and Abel born, and you have them marrying, and you have them that whole scene unfolding in Genesis 4. Of course, the time frame is not like specifically given to us, and, and it covers such a huge um, part of history in the book of Genesis. And um, But yes, I believe that Adam and Eve uh, were, well, that Satan mm. fell during that created time, there is a theory where people believe in something called the gap theory between Genesis um, one between and two. Genesis chapter one verse one and yeah. Genesis chapter one verse two. I don't believe that that is a biblically That's where they sound want to at squeeze all. Squeezing the whole billions yes. of years yes. theory, yes. and then theory. What, what they would say is that um, they would say that that the earth was created. And that Satan and the angelic world was also created or Lucifer was created with the angelic world and that they occupied that earth. And then what they say is that that the earth was then destroyed because of the fall of of Satan. And that's why they say, verse 2, the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And so they believe that there was this this gap in between verse 1 and verse 2, which is not actually even indicated even within the Hebrew. And what we see with the Hebrew as well is that verse 1 gives us a summary of what actually happened with the creation of the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 onward until the end of chapter 1 explains how those seven days of creation, well, six days of creation, seventh day spoken of in chapter 2. And then chapter 2 zooms in on day 6. And and so we have that kind of a thing happening in in the book of um, Genesis. Well, no coincidence here, Rocky. Just stay with me because uh, I'm taking you to uh, the next question that came from, where is it now? It is uh, from Mitval. Zelda Meyer says, with regards to Cain and Abel, why did they offer to God but their dad didn't seem to offer? Adam didn't offer to God or did he? Mm. How, how yeah. are we to understand yeah, so that? This is an excellent question and it does remind me a little bit of a, something that we did in Skriftilik, not, it was actually towards the beginning of our time in Skriftilik, at least you and I in Skriftilik. I know that Skriftilik existed before my time at Radio Pulpit yeah. um, with uh, Pastor Matt Fulyun. But we, we looked at um, Adam in particular and I came to the, the position at least that, that I'm not sure if Adam is actually born again. And we don't see any evidence of Adam offering any sacrifices. And so this is a good question. It, it is notable that Genesis doesn't explicitly mention Adam ever making a, a specific offering to God. However, we have to say that it is possible that he did make an offering, but the scripture doesn't provide detailed information on this matter. What is interesting is that after the fall, when Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, you remember that they took fig leaves and they Mm. sewed the fig leaves together. I have no idea still to this day why they would choose fig leaves. I mean, um, I, I... you know, I got that banana tree from you yeah. um, last year sometime, and it's really working well. And even uh, banana, so you would suggest, you know, I mean, I mean, banana leaves would work out a lot better. I mean, that's have you ever tried to pick figs and and figured out how itchy you get from that little <laughs> yeah. white um, yeah. sauce in a sense, or the white juice from a fig? And um, and but but their God actually in Genesis three verse twenty one makes a garment of skin for them, and so you do see a sense of an offering taking place from God. To cover the sinfulness of man or the would shame be, of man. Would that be where uh, Cain and Abel get the notion of offering from? I, I think so. I think that there is that element. But you also see that when you start to study and you look at Genesis 4 verse 3 to 4 and you've got that offering that happens where it, it actually, you know, you've, you've got them coming to God 
trying to, and maybe I must just turn there quickly to Genesis, uh, Genesis 4, verse 3 to 4, and it says this, So it happened in the course of time that Cain brought an offering. And it's quite interesting because it starts with Cain. Cain has this idea in the course of time. It would seem that this isn't happening necessarily, but that Cain now decides, well, I actually want to bring an offering. And he does bring an offering to Yahweh. That's what the text says, of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, so it may be even that that Cain sparked this idea of let's bring this offering. And Abel sees it, on his part, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and for his offering. Now you can wonder, why did Cain get upset? You know, well... I brought the offering first, Lord. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah, I'm the one that started with bringing this offering, and then my brother saw I was taking yeah, the offering. It's the fruit of my labor. You know, it's my hard why, work. Why are you not yeah. happy with what I brought? And yeah. then it says, but for, for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And it always uh, strikes me that, yeah, you have God in his mercy speaking to Cain, and that's a good study. We've been doing that in our Firm Foundations class, uh, we've uh, got a Bible 45 time with our adults as well as our children on a Sunday morning. And this next week, we're going to be studying specifically anger. And this is the first place in the Bible that you see anger. And interestingly so, enough... But he said the first murder right yes, after the church yes, service. Yeah, right there. And yeah. we have this this murder happening just after this. And, and I mean, interestingly enough, anger's actually spoken about more than 500 times in the Bible. It's wow. the second most spoken about e- emotion. And uh, want to take a stab at what the first one is? Mm, jealousy? I don't know. What love. Is it? Love. There we go. Okay, oh. there's an element of jealousy, jealousy and love in that sense. Right. Love. Love is the number one human emotion that's spoken yeah. about. So we'll, um, I mean, right until the end of the book of Reve- Revelation, we have anger spoken of there. And, and God says to him, to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, with, with, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is lying at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain gives God then the, the silent treatment. But after Abel and well, Cain and Abel, they bring their offering there in Genesis 4, verse 3 to 4. And Abel then brought that pleasing offering to God from the firstborn of his flock, while Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the soil. And that incident really does mark the first explicit mentioning of an offering in the Bible, signifying the beginning of a formal worship practice involving sacrifice. But but we don't actually see anywhere in Genesis Adam bringing an offering. And that is an interesting point that was brought out is by the there, listener. Is there a connection between God supplying the animal skin, the sacrifice, blood that flowed, and Cain and Abel's sacrifices, the one the toil of my own hands where's Abel's uh, sacrifice was blood again from his flock. Uh, is there a connection, anything between the two? Yeah, we, um, I think we've touched on this briefly before, but it's a good point to bring about. What we do see in the, in the scriptures is in the book of Hebrews, we actually have um, God, and I'm trying to find it just quickly if I can. We, we have that God himself is actually pleased with Abel's offering because it is an offering that is made in faith. And so so Cain is bringing his offering, but it's not accepted by God because he did not bring his offering in faith. And what now there, there may be, I mean, I think that it is beautiful in that sense that we do have 
our Lord Jesus later on referred to as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the yes. world, and we've got that. But we have no explicit mentioning at this point of what kind of offering ought to be brought. We also do have in the Old Testament, and, and that's where the Mosaic law comes about, that we have from the book of Numbers, the book of Leviticus in particular, even Exodus, where we have these sacrificial systems are spoken about. But we also do have grain offerings that are brought. We yeah. also do have first fruits that are brought. So we do have those kind of uh, offerings that are brought to the Lord as well. So it's not necessarily the fact that there's blood and that there's no blood. That What Hebrews tells us is that that Abel's was accepted because it was brought in faith. Oh, and right. Cain's wow. was, was not accepted because it was not brought with faith. And it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And yeah. so inside of Abel's heart, when he brought this offering, had the, the, the New Testament tells us he had this idea and, and he had the, the mentality of this sacrifice doesn't save me. The, the future promises that God has made to my mom that one day, and that's Genesis 3 verse 15, yeah. which is what we call the pre-evangelion, the first mention of the gospel. This promise that God has made to my mom, he's going to do this. He's going to, from her seed, he's yeah. going to bring a savior, a messiah. And I'm bringing this offering, not having a trust in this offering, but having a trust in the promises of God, that one day there's going to be a Savior that takes away the sin of the world. And so his offering was done as an offering of faith. Whereas Cain, in his offering, he thought to himself, well, I brought this offering first, Lord. You must be happy with me. I brought the best to you. Aren't you going to be happy with what I've done? And so Cain's offering was an offering brought as works. And that's the big difference between grace and works. Now, for us, when we say that faith alone saves, faith that does save never stays alone. It always brings along with it good works. But those good works are as a product of that faith. Whereas Cain brings good works and he thinks, well, God's got to be happy with my good works. Look at what I've done, Lord. Look at how I've done these things. And that's exactly what we find in Matthew chapter 7, when you have those that are cast aside from the Lord that say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not heal the sick in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And he says to them, get away from me. I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. That's what Cain was. He was a worker of lawlessness. He thought that somehow he could appease God by his own person, or by his own works, or by his own words, or by his own works of righteousness, not realizing that all he needed was that promise that God had made, I will one day send a Messiah. And that's the attitude that that distinguished the difference between Cain and Abel's offering. Fantastic. Rocky, I'm going to tie two listeners together here. Uh, Peter Squirra and uh, Ria Vandenberg. Uh, Ria, bye, donkey work for die, you know. And let's see if we can put the two together. Peter, you've asked a question uh, with regards to uh, Lucifer and said, uh, as Satan was cast out of heaven, he still had... Um, he still had an opening towards heaven. He still had an entrance into heaven. Um, the sons of God appearing before mm. the Lord. How is that even possible uh, in the book of Job? That Satan that was cast out of heaven, now all of a sudden before God. And then Ria 
Ria, vergewe vir my, maar ek wil jylle twee graag aan mekaar knoop hier, so. Good morning, I'm listening to you guys now, please explain to me on the timeline, how does dinosaurs fit into it? And immediately in my mind, I saw this, the dragon being cast out of heaven, being spoken of dinosaurs as the age of dragons. Dragons, can we tie it together? Uh, do we understand scripturally where they fit in? Um, and uh, are you willing to tackle this one? Mm, yeah, we can. So, so their dinosaurs were created also on day six with all the, at least the, the mammals on earth. And dinosaurs, that term actually has only been coined in the early 1900s Recently, yeah. or late 1900s. And so that is a term that we have brought about. And, and in particular with Darwinian uh, theistic or let's say Darwinian evolution theory, which has never, ever been proven. Um, that is where the dinosaur debate and the fossil debate has been such something of such a big debate. Um, now, now, we would, as those that hold to a biblical time frame, believe that the world has been created within the last 10,000 years, that dinosaurs have been present amongst mankind, that much of their extinction has been as a result of mankind's hunting of large animals, and that even when we look at the fossil record, we see the fossils that were actually placed there as a result of the flood of Noah's time in Genesis chapter 6. And so even when we think about the pre-flood world, there, there is a big difference between the post-flood world and the pre-flood world. One of the things that we do see, if we actually go back to, uh, I think it is Genesis 8, let me just make a... A check there, how the waters dry up on the land in Genesis chapter 8. And there's quite a big difference that the Lord actually brings about uh, when, this, the, when the waters dry up and Noah actually receives, um, he, he gets out of the ark once more. And God says to Noah in verse 16, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and that they may be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah builds this altar to the Lord and he takes of every clean animal and he makes an offering. And when the Lord smells this offering, he's very pleased with it. In chapter 9, God blesses Noah and his sons, and he says to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So we have the same promise that was given, or the same blessing that he gave to Adam and Eve, he gives to Noah. And then he says in verse 2, and this is a very important verse for this question, And the fear of you, and the terror of you, will be on every beast of the earth. And on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish in the sea, into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you, as with the green plants I give all to you. And that's an important section because it would seem that there was quite a difference before the flood when it came to the animals. You think about all these animals two by two that are coming to Noah. There's a big difference after the flood compared to pre the flood because people say, well, how can it be that the dinosaurs didn't destroy mankind? It would seem that the, that the animals at that stage before the flood were in absolute unison underneath mankind and his dominion that he had over them from the Garden of Eden. But there's a big difference that happens now post the flood. Even before the flood, when man was first created, all the animals on day six 
were given all the green things of the earth to eat. Why? Because there was no death yet, and because there was no sin yet, and there was no curse that was upon um, the, the world before Genesis 3 when mankind sins. But it would seem that between Genesis 3 and Genesis 6, which is, by the way, many, many years that take place in that time, almost 2,000 years or so, and man is living very long at this point, possibly up to 3,000 years actually even before the flood happens, and you've got somebody like Noah's grandfather that was alive at the same time that Adam was still alive, and you've got one language in the earth, and you've got one people group in the earth, that these animals would have coexisted with mankind. But after the flood, and also know that, that when, you, when it comes to the reptiles in particular, which the dinosaurs would be of that family, they, most of them would have actually been small that would have been on the ark. And not all of them would have been as big as some of the fossils that we have found. And those fossils are there as a result of what had been there before the flood. And after the flood, we even have today some reptiles that are still what you would, what you could call mm. of that dinosaur type of uh, lineage. I've discovered in God's Word, and uh, you will find it at uh, Isaiah 14.29, Isaiah 30 and verse 6, where the Bible speaks about flying dragons. Yes. Flying dragons. So uh, yep. the Bible is... Well, it's it's well known in God's word, so yes. th- that makes perfect sense. Um, yep. All right, so that fits in nicely look in, in the, the time. Ancient people groups. I mean, you look at uh, uh, some of the paintings that you even have with Aztecs, or the or you have with the, the Egyptians, Japanese. or the Japanese, or the Chinese, yeah. or you have even inside of the Britain uh, Britannia type of uh, groups that actually had like rock paintings, etc. And you have some of these type of creatures that were actually drawn and painted yeah. and etc right. and you know it does help us to understand some of the ways that some of these ancient people groups even built some of their pyramids and etc yeah. you know you, there was you just think even about something like a mammoth that yeah. has gone extinct in yeah. the last two three hundred years and those were huge elephants you know yeah. um that have been seen as something as prehistoric in a yeah. sense but but that's the now when we talk about prehistoric we sometimes think well um this is something that is now you know just absolutely void of what we what we we can imagine yeah but it just talks about a time before we were writing and thinking about and documenting these things but we have it in the scriptures i mean we have the leviathan which is actually just this picture of even what satan would be like in that sense which yeah you could not even um, penetrate him with javelins etc all right so yeah. so let's move on from the dinosaurs and the flying dragons and leviathans let's move then to uh, Peter Squero's question, he said, how is it possible if Satan was cast out of heaven and here in the book of Job, you find him amongst the sons of heaven? Uh, did he have access to heaven to come and go mm. as he would like? How are we to understand scripture there? Yeah, so um, there's, there's a wonderful, let's say, um, concept of Satan being God's Satan. That means that he cannot do anything without God giving him permission to do what he does. Even when you think wow, about our Lord Jesus, when, when, uh, when he says, you know, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Yeah. And then Jesus says, what I've prayed for you. So there God had actually given permission to Satan to sift Peter. But the prayers of the Lord Jesus actually is what rescues Peter from that situation. Because remember what happened with Peter. He denied his Lord three times. And then Jesus restores Peter three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. 
um, he, he says to him. So what we do see there is that God allowed Satan into the presence of himself as part of a divine council meeting. So it would seem that God had called that council meeting. He calls um, the, the angelic and he calls the demonic and they into this kind of a council meeting. And then the and book they of submit Job. submit to him. Yes, they submit to him. And, and the book of Job actually provides something of a unique glimpse into that spiritual realm, uh, depicting this conversation then between God and Satan. And the, the, the interaction then serves as this significant theological purpose in the narrative. In Job 1, 16 to, you know, rather verse 6 to 12, it describes how the sons of God, which includes the angels and these spiritual beings, came to present themselves before the Lord. All of them are accountable to God. Even Satan is still accountable to God. Rocky, I want to bring something in here. Apologies for interrupting mm. you. But the question is, we as humans sometimes, and you just have to look at Facebook, is we almost pitch Satan on an equal footing with God, saying there's evil and there's good. And you've just placed it completely, uh, knocked the ball out of the park. It's God, Satan. Yep. He needs permission. Yep. He can't do anything without yep. God's permission. I actually preached a sermon on this probably about, I don't know, five, six years ago, where I was yep. looking at um, Satan in particular. Um, I believe it was a sermon I did. It may have been a conference or a talk or yep. something. But but we have this picture of him with this like reddish face, devil horns with this, and we have this almost equal opposite yin yang version of yeah, yeah. Satan, yeah, yeah. and and he is so different than that. You know, many a times people will even blame Satan for certain things that they do. Oh well, Satan made me do it. You hear yeah. somebody say, yeah. but Satan is not omnipresent. That means he's not everywhere at once. He's a created being. He can only be one place at one time. You know, he has got a network of demons that do work with him, and there's authority structures amongst the demonic. And I do think that they have their fingers in a lot of pies as such, but they are not omnipresent. Uh, the way I've kind of understood it in my own thinking is kind of like the Internet. You know, the Internet can be anywhere. It's on our devices. It's everywhere at once in that sense, but it's not omnipresent like God is. Yeah. Satan cannot read our thoughts. Because it's only God who discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart of man. Right. Only God does. And people give Satan this extra power. They say, well, he knows our thoughts and he can see within us. No, Satan can't. Yeah. You know, he, um, he may have an access to some people's thoughts if that person is Planted possessed. sinful thoughts. Yes, you know, yeah. if they are possessed by yeah. him. And the, he can tempt us and he can, he can give us suggestions and he yeah. can help. He can try and shepherd our thoughts if we open ourselves towards that. But Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. That means he's not all-powerful like what we have of God. We don't, yeah. we don't have Satan as an equal opposite to who God is. Oh, right. And then also he's not omniscient. He does not know everything about everything. Only God does. And he's also not omnicompetent. In other words, he's not able to actually dish out justice yeah. or to refute justice. And he's not able to have any power apart from God. Not even a hair on our head will fall to the ground without God giving the permission for that. Bible so God that. Is, is in absolute sovereign control even over somebody like Satan. And what's amazing about this is that Satan actually like does God's will without him even knowing it. Because who killed Jesus at the cross? 
you know, the Isaiah 53 says that it was God's, God was pleased to crush him. Why? Because he, through what Jesus went through on the cross, we have the redemption of the world. But Satan killed Jesus. You know, Satan incites Pilate and he incites Herod and he, and he gets all of this going and he's so excited about the fact that Jesus has been killed. But into meanwhile, Judas as well. You into Judas as well. In the upper room, yes. Satan, know, Satan enters into enters Judas. In yeah. And so Satan's very involved with the killing of Christ. Yet in that, he achieves the, one of the greatest victories that, you know, not Satan achieving the victory, God achieves this great victory through what happens in the humiliation of Christ at the cross. And Satan is thwarted, even there. It's like his very best efforts are turned against right. him. Can you imagine how frustrated Satan must be? Yeah. All right. So just in closing on the topic, and uh, thank you so much, uh, Ria. Bless your heart and uh, Peter for asking that question. Rocky, I just want to end off, and time is really running out of me. My, the, I'm, I'm, I'm really caught up in this conversation. But in the book of Jude, right before Revelations, the book of Jude and verse 9, because we have a lot of people, as you rightly said, that that says Satan this, Satan made me do it, or they, they, they swear at Satan. They, I mean, mankind is fascinated by this evil being. And, and you find in Jude, Judas, hoofstuk 1 vers 9, maar toe het Michael die aartsengel met die duivel in een woordestrijd was oor die lichaam van Mooses, het hy, the Bible says, Hy het geen oordeel van laster, durf uitspreek nie, maar die Heere gesê, die Heere bestraf jou. A word of warning, because you find many a man just blabbering on about the evil one, and he's this and he's that, and uh, I will do that to you, and I will do... But here you find even the, the archangel Michael that says, well, God will deal with you. A word of warning according to God's scripture? Yeah, um, you know, even our Lord Jesus is, um, you know, he doesn't, in a sense, misunderstand the authority structures that God has himself placed. And and we so often will come along and we say, well, I bind you, Satan. Or, yeah. Um, but one of my lecturers actually at seminary, and I was, that's why one of the reasons I'm kind of getting a bit tongue-tied, because I'm thinking about that example. He, he got up in the seminary class the one day and he, he said at the front, well, I loose you, Satan. I loose you, Satan. I loose you, Satan. And they, all the students started looking at him like, "What? What are you? What are you on with? What are you doing about yeah. this? You know, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah. You know, he's like, I, I summon you now. You know, in this yeah. classroom. And and what he was doing is he was giving a demonstration of just the folly that we have in our mindset, where we think, okay, because now we bind Satan, now Satan has to listen to us. Yeah, you know that Satan actually has to. But but now he's been bound. But what if he's now loosed? No, no. Wow. And, and actually, we don't have control over Satan. And that was the point he was making. We don't have, with our tongues or with our brains or with our abilities, anything to actually go and bind him or go and loose him. or go And, and we, misunder, we misrepresent passages of Scripture to now build up this philosophy where we think that we're somehow special over Satan. What we're commanded to do is to stand firm in our faith, and then Satan will flee from us. We will be attacked at times by Satan and by the evil forces in this world. But we're commanded to be dressed in the armor of the Lord and to stand firm in our faith. And then he will flee from us. But we're never commanded to go out and hunt Satan or hunt yeah. demons or yeah. go and attack the spiritual realms, etc. And we do need to be careful when it comes to, to this. And even the archangel Michael 
he says the Lord rebuke you. And he is now, I mean, it would seem that the archangel Michael would have been one of those angels just underneath Lucifer when it came to yeah. the order that was made, because Lucifer was the chief cherub. But Mark, I, the, the archangel Michael, I mean, he's one that is actually a, such a powerful angel. And even today, I believe the archangel Michael is very involved even with the war that's happening in Israel, because he was specifically given this um, charge over looking after Israel in that type of a sense. But he doesn't presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment on Satan. He says, the Lord rebuke you. So that, that just gives us a, a mentality that we should actually realize that, that God has got a program and that all the power belongs to the Lord and that there is a time where God will cast Satan into that lake of fire. And we see that at the end of the book of Revelation. And that lake of fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's another misconception that we have. We think that hell is a place that Satan runs and he's some kind of mob boss that runs hell with his demonic hordes. Yeah. No, not at all. Most of the demonic hordes are actually free on the earth. It does seem, according to Jude as well as Peter, that there are some angels that are in chains at this moment as a result of some of the rebellion that they had back just before Noah's time. And that they there's actually some that are loosed even during the, the seven-year tribulation period um, that, that is coming to this earth. And um, but but Satan doesn't occupy hell at All this right. moment. Rocky, time has run out on us. My, I'm absolutely blown away by how quickly time has passed for us this morning. Can you believe it? We're at the end of this program. Just quickly, if somebody wants to take it up with you and have a further discussion with you, you are available on email. Yes, you can send me an email at pastor at bononibiblechurch.co.za. Pastor at Benoni Bible Church. And in closing, we had some inquiries. Let's talk just quickly on Mondays to Fridays. Just tell us quickly what let's talk about and the motive behind it. Yeah, let's let's talk. We we cover various aspects through Let's Talk. It's about a, a fifteen minute slot every morning on Radio Pulpit from Mondays to Fridays at quarter past eight to half past eight. We deal with with church history on a Monday called Memorable Monday. We do theology on a Tuesday called Theology Tuesday, wisdom literature on a Wednesday. And, and with that, we're busy doing thematically a study through the book of Proverbs. And then on Thursdays, we look at technical matters where we've covered things like hermeneutics. We've looked at textual criticism. We're now looking at logic as a subject um, in technical Thursdays. And then on Fridays, we look at hymn writers and my idea there is as well to at some point cover some of the martyrs of the church as well. And so that's Let's Talk, and that's also available on the podcast section in the Radio Pulpit website. If you look at www.radiopulpit.co.za and you go to podcast, you'll find Let's Talk over there. And you'll be able to find also all that we've done since February on Let's Talk on that podcast section on Radio Pulpit. But it's also a joy even if you're able to join in live every day uh, during the good news time. Bless your heart, sir. We honor the Lord for your life and uh, your obedience to the word. It is not man's opinion, but God's opinion that we seek. And you find that in God's word, the undiluted word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, when this being attacked Christ, uh, his creator, 
if you are the son of God. The tactics has never much changed. Jesus didn't go into a bait with, debate with him. He simply said, it is written. That yes. is what we're doing here. It is written, the word of God. There's a huge responsibility if you listen to a program like this to go and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Rocky, mm. bless your heart. Next week, Tuesday, God willing, we'll be back again. And thank you for this morning. Thank you, Vainant. Till next time, keep well. God bless you. Shalom. 12 o'clock, the latest news playing out with Dr. Daya. Worship the way of love.